I'm Jenny Rerick. I'm Jay Weedle. And you're listening to the Fit to Speak podcast. A show dedicated to giving coaches and trainers practical tips on how to communicate what they know in a way other people understand. Jay, we're back. Yeah, a brief hiatus, just a couple of weeks here and there. Life. Through, through, yeah, not as I say, not through our, our choosing. So, yeah, we're back. And we've got a fun topic to talk about. Yeah, I think both of us can speak very specifically to this topic in lots of different ways, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For everyone's context, I was telling Jay. I have started taking some group fitness classes recently. You can say CrossFit. Yeah, CrossFit. You can say CrossFit. Because I am at home 24-7 by myself <laughs> with Brendan, and I have no friends. <laughs> that sounds yeah. brilliant. I'd love to do that. I do do that anyway. Yeah. So I started taking and going to some CrossFit classes, and... I've noticed a couple of things. I've been out of the game a little while in terms of being a participant in a class. Mm -hmm. And something that stood out to me were facilitation skills. When I say facilitation skills, I'm talking about a coach's, how they run the session. Mm -hmm. It's not about what they're talking about. It's not about what we're doing in the workout. It's just simply how are they managing taking this group myself in that group through the workout Mm -hmm. and there were a couple of things that stood out to me that made the experience less enjoyable because of the way it was being administered that's one that's one side of this the second side which i just mentioned to jay is i had a communication skills training on zoom yesterday and today and at the end of the session today one of the people in the group gave some feedback in the evaluation form that she loved the training so much. And it was so engaging that she felt as though we were in the same room with one another, her and I, and Jay, I told you how that was probably the best feedback I've ever received from Mm -hmm. somebody for a virtual training, which also tells a lot about facilitation skills and how we create experiences for people, not just about what we're talking about, about, how are we doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you think about it, the content that you deliver, regardless of how good the content is, if you're not facilitating it, if you're not creating a good environment, a good context by which it's delivered in, it can very easily lose its very easily lose its shine or be less impactful. So, I'd love to hear more about how you did it. Mm-hmm. I guess. Well, yeah. where my mind is going first is. This to me is really specific to group, mm-hmm. to groups. Yeah. One, one-on-one is totally different. There's, there's of course, facilitation skills in one-on-one settings. And I want to say that you and I covered off on a few of those in previous episodes. This, I want to talk specifically about taking a group through a program. Mm-hmm. And if you look up the definition of what it means to facilitate, it simply says to make something easier. And when you think Simple about, enough. yeah, when you think about being a coach, you, your job is to make it easy for gr- groups to go through the training program that day, whatever it is. Yeah. 
I'm sure Brendan could probably speak to that a, a little bit as well with working at Boyles and working with big groups where they come in hour after hour after hour on the money, on the money, on the money every every single time. And they're there to get, well, they're kids usually, they're energetic and they're there to get a lot done for the most part. I'm sure there are some teenagers who don't care about being there and aren't that asked or they're just there to make trouble. But for the most part, being able to create an environment where you can get through the work and get things done and, and create a good experience for those people the workout sounds like it's already pre-written a lot of the times for bigger groups like that potentially at boils or, or at crossfit but it's about using your coaching skills to help people get the most out of it for sure mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah so what, well, i have what? a lot of experience with that as well in in the past just in coaching group classes at gyms that i've worked at, at and gyms obviously that i've run and you it's also important to remember when you have a different level of people in the class. Some people have been coming for five years and know exactly what's what's expected of them. And you might have a, two or three brand new people in the class as well. Uh, and being able to change your skills to accommodate or use the same skills differently to accommodate is uh, definitely a skill. That's a facilitation skill. Mm-hmm. Because the people who have five years experience, they don't need the entire explanation of how to do something. They essentially just need, how is this work? What is the work that I need to do? How is this being done? What are any logistics I need to know before I start? In my mind, as a coach, in that situation, your goal needs to be give the people in the room who can start on their own the information they need to start, let them go start. And then spend more time with the people who need more coaching. Absolutely. And then still check in with those people periodically. They know that it's, if they're self-aware enough, which usually they are, if they know when there's two or three new people in and you, you can also label it as, Hey, we've got a few new faces tonight. For those of you who have been here before, and you've been doing this for a long time. I see it with all these regulars, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to get you guys set up and doing this first. And then I'm going to spend a little bit more time with the the newer people to make sure that you can get the most out of your efforts. And that's just the way that is. I think calling attention to it is the, it, it's potentially the best of a bad scenario is maybe some drawbacks of calling attention to the new people who are in the class and recognizing that they are new but if you do it in an empathetic way you can say i'm going to spend more time with you and you're going to get more out of it because i'm going to spend more time with you it's also really important to me that these people over here who've paid the same amount of money as you to be here also get a great experience and i think if you are genuine about leading that way you'll be fine and then actually going and doing that thing, still making sure that you're checking in with the people who've been here in the past, but then spending time with the the newer people that need a little bit more coaching and a little bit more instruction. Yeah. I think the number one response that we would get to that is, well, how do you keep everyone on track? If some people are starting before other people, but in my mind, when I think about when I was doing a lot of group fitness coaching, I would do that And I would just decrease the amount of work we were doing with the new folks because the priority Mm -hmm. wouldn't be on getting X amount of work done. It would be about ensuring they understood what they were doing. They were doing it correctly. So maybe they ended up doing one less set than everybody else, but that wasn't the priority anyway in the first place. So the group still stays on time. Mm -hmm. You're just 
favoring your time toward one group within there. And like you said, while still checking in with the folks who know what's up. And from a group programming standpoint, even if you're not writing the group programming, there is very likely, unless it's a completely harebrained setup, it's very likely a chunk of time that's being dedicated to, I don't know, the A block in a, in a, in a program anyway. Hey, you're going to do three to five sets of eight to 10 reps of a, uh, an RPE eight. Okay, well, let those people go. They're probably going to understand those things. And then whatever the other people get done, as you just said, that's not necessarily the priority. Can we work on quality before we work on quantity and give the other people plenty of runway? And if they come to you and say, hey, I've done five sets, what should I do? Ask them a question. What do you want to do? Do you feel like you could do a little bit more? Do you want to take a breather? You've got a couple of options. Speak to them as slightly more advanced athletes, as slightly more advanced trainees, and then carry on your business and go back to, to coaching the other group again. I have seen coaches struggle because they feel like they have to keep up a an almost a hyper-professional persona when, although that's a good base to have and leading with almost like a script, when there is deviation from that, as we're saying, you've got two very different groups, then you can speak to them as human beings. That's probably going to be a better use of your time than trying to maintain this really professional persona that maybe doesn't actually get the job done and just, just leaves this person like, okay, well, I'll just, should I just wait here for five minutes then until the, the newbie group is done? Mm-hmm. You probably don't want people to feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The big takeaway here is if you have a mixed group in terms of experience levels or competency, you're going to give the minimum amount of information people need in order to just start the work so that those who are familiar with what's going on, they've been around, they can get started and get the work in while then you go and you invest the extra explanation, the demonstrations with the group who hasn't been around. Yeah. Don't don't drag everybody through at an advanced pace and don't slow everybody down at a newbie pace. You don't need to do it. Right, right. And often the group coaching is, the size of the group is very easy to do this. All right. The next observation I had when attending this class was that the coach stood at the front of the room. The gym is set up as a, almost a perfect square. The coach stood at the front of the room and was walking us through what the workout was going to be. And as she was doing that, which was about 10 minutes of talking, I would say, there was quite a bit. She had to explain the warm up, what we were doing for the strength piece, and then the workout. She didn't turn the music down. The music was loud. (laughs) That is about the volume I work out to, that music. And it was loud. And she was talking, attempting to talk over the music. And I was so confused as to why she didn't turn the music down because she's standing next to the screen with the laptop where it's all controlled. You and I talked about this before we got on here and you were asking, well, why do you think she did that? And I can't explain it because I sat there wondering, why aren't you turning the music down? I'm in the back of the room and I can't hear anything you're saying. And what we, the conclusion we came to was what two things. Number one, nobody said anything. Nobody said, I can't hear you. And then the second reason is because I had also gone to another coach and they did the same thing. So it's not something in that culture that's observed as being important or it's not something they've ever even thought to do. Yeah. Do you think it would have been different if the coach had said, 
Can everybody hear me? Yes. Would yes. people have put their hands up? Yeah, because that's I, it. Where people are afraid to admit. I don't, nobody wants to be the one that raises their hand and says, I, I can't hear you. I don't know if I'm the only one. It. Nobody likes to single themselves out. It's the same no. when you're teaching someone something, they're not going to admit that they don't know something. We all just pretend we know so that we can save face and not look like the dummy. Exactly. And then when you are in a group class, it only perpetuates that general notion that group fitness is where people can go and hide and they can shrink. And it's just not necessary. You don't, we don't need to make it any less of a good experience because there's 30 people in the room. Coaches can do, and using this word, coaches can do a much better job at facilitating a great experience by not doing anything too revolutionary like turning down the bloody music would be great or hey huddle up so everyone can see me just make a semicircle i want to make sure everyone can see me that that that's not an imposition for the people in the room and they don't have to do shit they just have to walk a couple of steps to be able to have a much better experience overall and it's ideally you wouldn't want it to be on the client to say I can't see you. Can I stand somewhere else? I can't hear you. Can you turn the music down? Just not necessary. Coaches no. can do a better job with that. No, I would. The big takeaway for me is when you're communicating, thinking about what's my end goal here. And often if it, you're verbally communicating, the end goal is number one for people to hear you because nothing else can happen with communication if they can't hear you. Now in a gym setting, sometimes you can't control the music. You maybe it's in a closet somewhere and you don't have control over that. That's fine. But as to your point, I can control how closely people are standing to me. If in this example, she couldn't turn down the music. If I were in her shoes, I would have said, I need everyone to take 10 steps forward toward me so that I'm not yelling at you because when I yell, my voice is really annoying. That's what I used to say actually when I coached and I would say, you don't want me to yell because you're not going to like the way it sounds. Self-deprecation is so disarming, isn't it? It is. It really is. Providing you don't overdo it. <laughs> yeah. Pay attention, though, to the noise that's going on around you. And the next piece of advice, I would say, which works really well, I use it all the time, is when you're speaking to a group, this is presentations, this is group coaching, always start by speaking to the person that's farthest away from you. Identify who is farthest away from me physically I'm going to look at them and I'm going to speak so that I am 100% sure that person hears me because if then I'll push my volume to a level where it's mm -hmm. completely appropriate for that group because I'm aiming for the person that's farthest away from me. I've seen you do it. I've been in the room when I've also seen you ask other people to do it and it makes a massive difference. And the word you just used there was push. It wasn't shout. You just pushed, push, push the words a little bit more and the intonation in your voice, and I remember this from, from the one day seminar we did, the intonation in your voice became clearer and more commanding. It didn't become shrill or, or uh, overpowering or anything like that. And that's the difference between pushing and shouting. Mm -hmm. You're also doing a great job at making sure you're spending your time wisely if you talk to the first two or three people and then you do have somebody in the back of the room that says i didn't hear that can you repeat it again bloody hell if you've ever been in a class where you've had to do that that I, I, that makes me feel 
like a shitty coach yeah. if someone didn't hear me i'd be like oh shit i could have done a better job doing getting that right the first time and then i try not to make that mistake again but you can just be far more efficient with your time and, and energy at that mm-hmm. point yeah just speak to the the people in the back and you yeah. you know you've got them all then yeah all right number one they need to hear you make it possible for people to hear you if you can't control the music ask people to move and tell them exactly where you want them to move. I often use counted steps and I mean it. I'll say take 10 steps forward because mm-hmm. if you simply say, I need you to get closer to me, how many steps will people take? Less than one. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to laugh just... if you said one and it, that's even better that you said less than one. They'll just kind of like lean their torso in a little bit, just sleets kind of slide over. So give them a goal. Give them the number of steps they need to take to get to you. Yeah, be explicit. Okay. To build this builds on that. It doesn't have to do with the volume, but it does have to do with your body. When we talk to people, our communication works better if we're facing them because our <laughs> voice travels to them. When we are facing away from people, our voice travels away from them. Now If you're giving instruction to the group on how to do the workout, you should have them in front of you. You should not be standing on the side of the group. You should not be standing behind the group. You should not be walking around the group. You should be standing in front so everyone can see you so that they can read your body language. And again, your voice is traveling toward them. Anything to add there? Have you ever been in another room and gone, Brendan? And he's gone, what? Brendan. Oh, I'm in another room. I can't hear you. That's a prime example of how bloody annoying that that could be. I'm pretty sure I do that to Jen all the time. And then I'll go and stand in the room. And the third time around, I'll say, and I'll be more exasperated about it and be like, this. And in actuality, I could have just gone to her in the first place because we there was a wall in between us and she was facing forward and I was facing backwards. Of course, I was going to do a poor job at communicating my message to her. That's the example I will give there. Everybody's been in that scenario before. It's bloody annoying. You can avoid it by facing the person that you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. It's why teachers don't stand in the back of the room while they're teaching. They stand in the front because they want people to see you. When people can see you, they can read your body language. More than 50% of your message is what your body is saying and what mm-hmm. how your voice is sounding. Mm-hmm. And if they can't see your body... They're missing out on a big part of your message. They're missing out on seeing the the presence that you have, reading your Mm -hmm. gestures, reading your facial effects. Now, that's pretty simple when we think about maybe opening up a group session or closing a group session or in between when you're explaining things. But obviously, when you coach groups, you're also doing quite a bit of communication when people are in their spaces doing work and you're not you're not really in a spot where you can get in front of everybody. I was thinking often that means that you're offering cues. When I coach groups, my focus is, is if I'm going to offer a cue to someone, I'm going to try and first position myself where I'm somewhere in front of that person. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not coaching them from behind. I'm not off to the side because when people hear that you're talking to them, they have a natural desire to want to look at the person talking to them. Mm -hmm. I've 
as an example, in this class, this coach was offering coaching to someone and she was behind them and they were doing cleans. They had the bar in their hands and they had their head turned and watching her while holding the barbell. Mm -hmm. We want to move in front of people so that they don't have to do the work to look at us because they want to look at us. It's a natural reaction we have to when people are speaking, we want to be able to see them. 100%. And I've seen coaches get pissed off when people look at them if you're doing kettle if, if there's somebody doing a kettlebell swing and you're standing to the side of them and you say push the ground away and they look at you i've seen coaches be like don't look at me look forward <laughs> two things number one it's not their responsibility they don't know what the, they're doing it's your responsibility as the coach you could do a better job there number two if they're doing something fast and dynamic like swings or cleans or snatches or they're in the middle of a crossfit wad maybe don't try and overcoach the life out of them in that moment maybe wait until that thing is done or if something looks really off tell them to put it down hey i want you to put it down quickly i want to talk to you about this let's do this instead you can modify asking people to compute many things at once is probably not a great idea especially when they're doing something already quite skillfully demanding and they're probably already a little bit tired and as you're you've been saying they're in a crossfit gym that's basically got the walls shaking by the sounds of how loud the music is try and do one piece of communication explicitly at a time where you can is probably pretty good advice yeah okay so the list we have so far is be sure people can hear you by turning the music down or making them come closer to you face the people you're speaking to the next one is maybe a, a blend of both when you are offering coaching cues in a group you have to remember when you speak people don't know who you're speaking to unless you use their name mm -hmm. if you're offering a coaching cue in a group before you give the coaching cue you need to say the person's name so you have their attention I've seen coaches give cues and say, great job with the elbows, Jay. And then by the time Jay realizes he's being talked to, you have no idea what the coach said because you you they didn't have your attention in the first place. It should be, mm -hmm. Jay, great job with your elbows. Yeah. And I hope that's Tag not the cue. Tag them and deliver. Tag and deliver. Oh, I like yeah. that. We'll, we'll go with that. Tag and deliver. Yeah. I wouldn't Oof. say I want to if I'm coaching someone on a goblet squat, I'll say, Stephanie, great job. Keep that weight, keeping that weight close to your chest on the goblet squats. I'm not going to mm -hmm. say great job keeping that weight close to your chest on the goblet squats, Stephanie, because now by the yeah. time Stephanie hears me, she would have missed everything I've just said. Stephanie doesn't give a shit. <laughs> she's waiting <laughs> to be told, especially if she's in a room of 30 people. She's not listening to everything. And I've I've witnessed that as well, where coaches give constant there's to a point where it's not coaching anymore. It's just talking. It's filling all the space, being explicit, delivering the message as you intend it to be delivered and it doing exactly that. If you want to give it to a person, tell that person, Hey, I want to tell you something and then tell it them rather than speak and then say, Stephanie, did you hear me? Like Stephanie doesn't care. She's just not listening. Yeah. That, that's okay. That's not Stephanie's fault. Who is Stephanie by the way? Anyway, when you, yeah, when you when you're coaching in a group, people don't know you're talking to them until they hear their name. Yeah, you have a really good analogy here, Jay, about money. 
which one? I think this is relevant about handling oh, money. Oh, right, right. Sorry, I was lost. I was lost for a second. Yeah, I was thinking we do this. We 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 tag people because we want them to be part of the thing. We're not just randomly talking about stuff. And the way I was thinking about this, and I don't know why my brain often just works in analogies anyway. If I was to go to the cashier at the supermarket, I'm I'm going to look them in the eye hold out my hand, wait for them to respond, and then I'm going to put the money in their hand. Or I'm going to, even at a minimum, I'm going to place it on the counter because they expect it to be there. What I'm not going to do is just drop it on the countertop when they're not looking or throw it at them. So it, it kind of bounces everywhere because two things are going to happen. I'm going to either A, have to spend my time picking it up, or B, I'm going to have to go and pay more. I'm going to have to dig in my wallet to, for the extra pennies to, to pay the bill. Either way, I've not actually been able to do the thing that as I intended, the task that I intended as I planned. And I I could could have done that much better, far more efficiently, had I actually delivered it in a way where me and the cashier, whoever they are, were looking at each other, we were squaring up and we knew this is that transaction time, this is that thing. And so I think I was thinking of it in a transactional backwards and forwards. So hopefully that analogy makes sense. I love it because we... We need to connect before we can communicate. Oof. Let's just soundbite that. That's the soundbite for this for this podcast. We can be done. Let's wrap it up, Jenny. But it really, if you're not connected to the person, no communication can happen before you're connected. And the way we can rate connection can be physically by making eye contact with people, by facing them. It can be vocally by using their name. And those are things coaches need to be doing all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. The other, I, a couple of months ago, I talked about some facilitation skills and one of the broader categories I talked about was what I call captaining the experience. And you've talked a little bit about this as directing people on what you want them to do. When people Mm -hmm. are in a group, they want to be directed because groups are chaotic and someone needs to take charge. It's why when those communities of people develop where there's no leader, they always fall apart because people need to be led. They want to be led. They need to be organized. One thing I was thinking about was often in groups, it's really easy for people to get off track because some people do things faster than other people's. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a dynamic warmup and you're having everyone do skips, I've seen people skip really, really fast. And I've seen other people who have no idea how to skip and they take a very long time to get down the turf. You should be running that or creating the cadence in which the execution of that is happening. Meaning maybe it's always go on my command or when I clap, the first line goes. When I clap, the second line goes. This is how you keep people on track because nothing is worse than 20 of the people in the group being done. And then that one person who has barely started doing the bear crawls because they had no idea how to set up. And now everyone's just hanging out waiting for Mm -hmm. that one person to get down to the end of the turf. And it's a waste of people's time. And tangentially related there, if you have control over the programming, relying on time is probably your best choice in that scenario. We're going to do this for the next minute. Go. And you're just going to do iterations. And that way, if the brand new person only gets through one, but they do it well, great. And if the five-year experienced person does 10, great, not bothered. Being able to rely on time, if you can control the programming, great. 
without that, using that example of what you just said, that that final person bear crawling, how shitty does that person feel that 20 other people are now watching them attempt to bear crawl along the floor or learn how to skip whilst giving themselves shin splints, poor people, like just kicking the floor because they've never done this before. That's grim. You'll never, you're highly unlikely to see that person again. So if you can control the programming, try and rely on time and try and give opportunities for lower complexity if that if that's applicable. You know, I think a lot of the time coaches rely on progressions, regressions. Progressions, regressions are probably harder to manage a lot of the time because although we can be more sure that some things are more complex and therefore probably more progressed and some things less complex and sorry, so and therefore less complex. I've also seen people really struggle to learn how to like baby crawl on hands and knees. They just don't know how to do it. And if that's my only regression, then I'm shit out of luck anyway. They may as well be doing nothing. So we can run out of regressions, but it's often a little bit harder to just run out of time. Just give them opportunities to figure it out. And the best option there is is time. Well said. I like that. The last thing on my list is the how you open and how you close. Mm -hmm. I... I study a lot about facilitation skills because the work that I do, I facilitate group training related to communication and presentation skills. So my ability to do that really well impacts my job. But as I said, for coaches, a lot of facilitation skills, if you look in like corporate training, they focus a lot on the importance of how you open and how you close. And the same is totally true for coaches. How you open sets the tone and how you close sets the narrative. What I mean by that is the, the the way you show up, the energy you have when you show up, the clarity of your speech, how you relay what we're doing today and the, the order in which we're doing it and how many of the logistics you share of how that's going to be done. That's going to determine how I'm going to show up in the group and execute that. The more clarity I have around what you expect of me and what we're doing and how it needs to be done, the better I'm going to be at doing it. Mm-hmm. And then when I close, when people leave any session, whether it's a training session or an education session, whatever it might be, they begin to tell themselves a story about what that experience was like. Mm-hmm. If you don't tell them or what that story should be before they leave, they might end up with a story that doesn't help. Mm -hmm. I think more coaches need to reserve three to five minutes at the end of every session to create what is the narrative of what we accomplished today so that when you leave, you're influenced or hopefully bought into that narrative versus maybe focusing on things that didn't go well. Yeah. Can we talk about the or, opening first? The way I think of that, what you just said there is the opening is how I show up and the closing is whether they'll show up next time. Oh, I like that. Because in between now and when I see them next could be a week. So you're talking about that narrative, that story that they tell themselves. You want them to be excited to remember what they were good at, remember the the coaching cues that they gave them, how you make, you know, that's the idea of how you made them feel. And that means they'll come back with more energy, more effort, more intention because you're showing up. I also, I'm a firm believer in as a personal trainer, as a coach, my primary job, why I was hired and sought out by this person was not initially to be their friend. I'm going to get there. 
I'm going to be, it's going to become a transformational relationship over time, but I'm initially going to show up as the pro. I'm going to show up as the person that helps this person get results. I'm going to teach them how to do the thing I need them to do to be able to get the outcome that they want to get. Tasks, driving outcomes. And as they get more and more successful, they build that trust, that buy-in that I know what I'm doing and they're seeing those results. Then we can start to pull the the thread of the tapestry a little bit of life of me and that person and building that relationship. I think all too often, maybe that's flipped the other way around and it's, it spreads. It can be a little bit of both. If I go in and I think I've used this analogy before, but if I treat the newbie person who's frightened of the gym and I treat them as the same way I would treat my slightly more experienced type A CEO guy, I'm probably going to do one of them a disservice if I treat them exactly the same way. So I've got to know when to give myself a slightly bigger dose of one transactional or transformational, but knowing that we do need to move along that we, we can't afford to always be transformational because if I get CEO person turn up after this first session, they're going to be like, I didn't sweat. I didn't get anything done. I'm not going back. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And if I crush the newbie person, they're going to feel garbage most likely. And they'll be like, I want to go back again. <laughs> I've got to be able to slide it a little bit. That was tangentially related, but that was a long tangent. No, it wasn't. It, it makes sense. And when I think about opening, that's a first impression. Mm -hmm. Even if people come to work with you three times a week, all three times you're making a first impression. And when people come in, they, they really do. People want to be led. I want to show up and, and basically say, if I'm, if I'm showing up to this gym for a workout, I don't want to have to really think about how this is, how the work is going to get done. I want to be told what to do. And I want to be able to just get the work done as efficiently mm -hmm. as possible and focus on how I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And when, if a coach shows up and they open up a session and it's, Hey, welcome. Here's what we're doing today. We have a lot to get through. These are the, the blocks we're going to go through today. This is about how much time we're going to spend in each block. Here's what our goal is to accomplish. So at the very least, this is what you're looking to do. And that type of approach to me is they're in charge. I like yep. this. It, they know what's up. They respect my time. There's someone I can trust because they're asserting themselves and they're going to facilitate the training. <laughs> Whereas if, well, hey, um, yeah, so on, uh, here's what we're doing today. And um it's just slow and it's questioning and there's not a, an, a sense of urgency to it. That to me sets a really poor tone. And that's not someone that I necessarily am totally bought into. Mm -hmm. Personal training. This is the narrative that I have in my head. Personal training is already thought of as a low barrier, not that professional profession for want of a better word. We can do a much better job at elevating that this this industry, this standard by being prepared because it wouldn't fly in any other industry. If you walk through the door of a restaurant and there's nobody standing at that little podium to meet you and you're there for like five minutes, like, fuck, am I ever going to get a table? And then they turn up and somebody says, what do you want? Well, sorry, we're all out of the stuff. We're all out of this. And we start and then we just say, you know, are you in a rush? Uh, well, we don't have any tables. Do you want a table now? Do you tell me what you want? Like have, having the client, having the paying customer, being the person that dictates the the pace of the session is you yeah. wouldn't stand for it 
anywhere else. It just wouldn't fly in any other place. But for some reason, there's it, we kind of let it happen in personal training. I say let it happen. I think the vast majority of people listening to this or listening to it because they want to get better at being coaches and trainers and and any other role that they do, they're listening to because they're looking for self-improvement. So, But they likely have worked with people, and I know I have, have likely worked with coaches who do exactly that. You hear them walk on the floor and they say, all right, Dave, oh, bit of a long one. Do you mind if I go and get a coffee? I'll be back in five minutes. And when they come back, they say, Dave, what do you want to do today? Nightmare absolute yeah. nightmare yeah. like they're the people that we're trying to elevate the industry w- with ho- holding holding gun to our feet i guess um, yeah well and i want to show up in front of a group and them think to themselves oh she's in charge i want yeah. that because i know that if i can create that first impression and when i say i'm in charge i'm not thinking aggressive uh, authoritative I'm talking assertive, which is another topic we're going to talk about on another episode. I want them to think to themselves, she's in control. Because if they have that first impression of me, when I go to coach them throughout the session, they're going to be more receptive to my coaching Mm -hmm. because I have this persona now of Mm -hmm. being in control and I'm composed, I'm managing their time well. I know what's going on. I know what's coming next. There's not a lot of unnecessary talking going on or explanations. I'm giving them what they need. That's the tone. And that's the tone I want to set from the beginning. And I think a lot of maybe younger coaches or even I know being a woman too, if you're coaching a group of that's mostly men, that can be really intimidating. And often we're more soft-spoken. You almost need to stop believing that you're this quiet less experienced person than all these other people you need to say i need to assert myself with this group because this is what a coach does and that's my job Mm -hmm. is to be a coach and i'm putting on my coaching hat right now and i'm taking off any hat that makes me feel insecure about my ability to assert myself in front of the group yeah easier said than done the close before you leave you want to tell you basically want to lay out for people or demonstrate to them what's all the value that you realized in the hour we just spent <laughs> together. Because yeah. I know when I leave, like when I leave these, the, this CrossFit class, I leave, I know I'm in my car thinking about what did I just do? Mm-hmm. I'm replaying everything I accomplished. I'm questioning if I could have worked harder on that, if what this <clears> was like, and I'm not the only one who does that. Anyone who goes to a group fitness, they leave and you begin to replay what you just did because it was a really visceral experience if the coach takes time at the end to remind me of what I did and what the focus was and how we should be feeling that to me now is going to be that lens that hopefully I'm going to tell my own story through. Correct. People remember the last thing they did, how you made them feel the, the, the last five minutes or so. So that also an opportunity here for you to be able to tailor the programming. So if there's things that you want to get done as the coach, because you know they're foundationally important towards the goal, but the client really likes doing battle ropes or something like that, then that's fine. Give give them battle ropes for the last five minutes. That's a worthwhile investment. I think that think of that as pennies in the bank. Because if they really enjoy it, they you can frame to them what you had them do and why it's really important. And then they're going to remember the cherry on the cake here is that they're going to remember how using the battle ropes made them feel at the end they had a good time as well and as you mentioned they begin to 
populate this narrative that you have framed out for them. You're saying, hey, you're getting really good at this. This is what we were successful at today. Next time we're in, we're going to tidy up this and we're going to keep working on this. And if you have any questions in between now and then, please don't hesitate to email me because I want to make sure that when you do come back in, we're ready to go and we're, we're prepared. Both of these two things are priming. You're priming what this person's going to think of during the session. And, what they, and at the end of it, you're priming what they're going to remember about the session. And I know what I always do is anytime I make a purchase specifically around services, and if I feel this way, I'm uh, sure other people do, is that I'm always measuring its value. If I go out to dinner, which is rare because I don't really enjoy it because I usually just feel it's not that good of an experience. Maybe I'm going to the wrong restaurants potentially, but even if the food's really good, I always remember what the atmosphere was like. Do I feel like I got farmed in and out? Was the was the wait, waiter, wait, waiter or waitress, were they, were they not that attentive? Did they forget stuff? Did they seem flippant or really pissed off about stuff? Like, I remember that far more than I remember the meal. It's important that we set that tone, deliver that thing, and then at the end of it, remind people why we did what we did and, and highlight why it was worth them doing it. And what you can also do is recognize when you don't have a good session, you can take stock of that and then work out how you're going to adjust that for the future as well. But if you're not wrapping things up, then you do your client a disservice and you do yourself as the coach a disservice, I think. Yeah, I think the worst thing that could happen is that let's say you finish with some bike sprints. The worst thing that could happen is that the people finish their bike sprints and they just sporadically just go and get their stuff and they leave. And there's <laughs> no, there's sometimes clients have left and you haven't even noticed that they left, but they finished the workout and you were done. I think that's the worst possible thing that could happen. There needs to be some closure. Yeah. Always. Yeah. In, especially in groups. And that's going to come down to, you know, going back to positioning as well. When you know there's five minutes left and if people are going to be finishing at different times, you better get to the front of that room so that when they do leave, great job today. I think you did a fantastic job here, here, and here. It was great to see you. High five, fist bump, chest bump, whatever people do nowadays. But positioning yourself again, I don't do any of those things. I'm more of like a quiet nod kind of person. Um, but <laughs> quintessentially British. Yeah, position yourself in the right place to be able to be a bit of a catch-all, a bit of a filter. Because you're not always going to be able to control it if you are in a large group, especially if there's a chatty Cathy one place and there's a person that just comes in and does, takes care of business in the other place, you you might get stuck. So use positioning more strategically in that in that regard. Yeah. So let's recap quick. We talked about make sure people can hear you. Turn down the music. Ask people to take 10 steps closer to you. We talked about facing the people that you're speaking to tagging people's names before you're offering coaching cues. We talked about using time to manage the cadence of how work is getting done. Mm -hmm. And then the importance of really commanding the group right away in the beginning to set that in that powerful first impression mm -hmm. to so that the tone of the session is followed by the rest of the group. And then making sure that there's some type of deliberate close, or at the very least that you're saying goodbye to everybody in the group. Did I miss anything? No, that's a great word, deliberate, being deliberate about something. I kept saying explicit earlier on, and that maybe sounds a little bit more extreme, but it is de being deliberate with and being intentional. That's that's great. And all of this is about making your message. You could be the great co best coach in the world, but all of this is the extra 1% that can really bring it to life and, and really create a great experience for people. I think mm -hmm. that was a great recap. All right.
this was fun. Love it. Welcome back. Good to see you, Jay. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for listening to the show. As this is a podcast about communication, we value and welcome your input, any feedback you have, and questions about how we could make the show even better for you. We'd love it if you click the link in the show notes to do so.